0: Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, June 21st, 2019, and today, imagine that, we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are currently on page 35, the first paragraph. It reads, What sort of thinking dominates? If you can mute your phones that would be spectacular okay thank you um, again the first paragraph what sort of thinking dominates we're going to read the one paragraph only on page 35 today's readers we have Lauren N on the 12 steps Diane B is going to read the 12 traditions and the readers of the text we have Pete B and we have hoodie R. the share ID for Thursday June 20th 2019 For the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that's 13,059-13059. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, 13,060-13060. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition, states that each group has but one primary purpose, and that is to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating, well, you can recover. You've got to start with abstinence and then the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask... Uh, da, 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 da. Who did I say was that? Oh, it was um Lauren. Lauren, would you read the 12 steps?
1: Yes, I will. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Lauren. Lauren and Compulsive Overeater Sugar Addict from New York. Uh, 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We, 1. We admitted we were powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable. 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge, for knowledge of his will for us and power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass.
0: Thanks, Lauren. And now, would you please welcome to the mic, Uh, Diane B., who's going to read us the Twelve Traditions. How's that for an intro? Diane?
2: That was great. Thank you. (laughs) This is Diane B. from New York, Compulsive Eater. The Twelve Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. left problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, in Overeaters Anonymous, Thank you. And thanks for your service, Larry. Pass.
0: My pleasure. Thanks, Diane. Okay, here's how our meeting works. First, there's no smiling or laughing. Um, Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. However, this meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And, of course, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. If you'd like to share, press star 1 to unmute your phone. Once you're done sharing say you're done sharing, say pass, and then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're we're, we're back in the big book. We are currently on page 35, the first paragraph. It starts, what sort of thinking dominates? And here we got Pete B to get us started. Hey, Pete, good morning. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. Pete, can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah, perfectly.
3: Great, thanks. Uh, Pete B., compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I'm in Pennsylvania. Uh, Page 35, first paragraph. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? That's interesting. You know, yeah. I, I I was when asked to when asked to read this and comment about it, I just thought about my experience, and I started to think about what are the, what were some of the things. You know, there have been many many attempts and many failures, right? And some of the, some of the some of my thinking was was well, I've learned my lesson. And I'll be able to handle it this time, right? That was always a, that was always a good one. I've learned enough about my my behavior. I've learned enough about my condition. I'll be able to handle it this time, right? And then another another big one for me was I was making too big a thing about this food thing, right? I just you know look, look the society as a whole is overweight. Why can't I just be serene and fat, right? That was always a, that was always one I thought that would that would get me by. And, you know, the, the the regular one this time, it's going to be different for sure. It's absolutely going to be different this time for sure, right? And it, this is another one. I, I look for references. This person or that person are doing it. It should be, I should be able to do that as well, right? If, if, if everyone else around me is doing it, that should, it should be okay. You know, or um, the circumstances are different this time. I was in a bad place in my life and now I'm in a better place. So this time it should be okay, right? And then I think this is, the most, this is the most serious and most significant one, right? I just don't care, right? This situation I'm in right now is just too difficult to handle without food. And it might even kill me. I just don't care. I know it will provide no relief. I know what it's going to do to me. I know what you people told me about this condition, but I just don't care, right? And that's the point. That's the, that's the point. The, the, that's the point where I think we're most uh, likely to, to receive direction, the hopelessness, right? That, that hopeless condition. You know what? It's going to kill me, but it's not going to kill me with this, with this mouthful, right? Earlier on on page 24, it says, we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first strength. It goes on to say when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. Right. It, we read earlier, right? No human power. OA is human power. A sponsor is human power. New people, family, virtues, all human power. No mental defense, right? I can't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drum up some newfound defense against taking that first bite. No amount of willpower. So what's left? What is left? It's grace. When we we try to be gentle or consider to others about the the, the fatality and severity of this condition, we're only harming other people. We need to take this extremely, extremely serious and significant. This is a fatal condition, progressive condition, only gets worse, never better. And if we soften that, if we try to if we try to 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 think that there's something other than grace we're 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 not telling the truth for the real compulsive overeater and by this time in the book we have arrived at the point where we are able to distinguish as whether we are or we are not and with that I'll pass
0: Thanks, Pete. Okay, Pete read um, the first paragraph on page 35. What sort of thinking dominates? We're just going to comment on the one paragraph only. If you haven't shared in the past day or so and would like to share, on your marks, get that go. Nancy, Julie, Kathy, P. P. Julie Liz, Beth, Liz, Elizabeth, P. Elizabeth,
4: Kathy, Nancy P. P. Kathy, Barbara,
0: Nancy, look at me, come on, uh, Nancy, okay, let's stop there, if we can, Cindy, I'll tell you um, Cindy, okay, we'll stop with Cindy, thank you. okay, we have, oh, you bet, Cindy, we have Julie, Beth, Liz, Elizabeth, Kathy, Barbara, Nancy, and Cindy, if you are not Julie, would you be kind enough to mute your phone, and good morning, Julie,
5: Good morning, Larry, and uh, yeah, I'm Julia E., and I am um, so grateful and blessed to be here. Thanks, Pete and Team Friday. I wrote, it's a little scattered, but uh, the sick disease thinking, Um, I, I came into the room through AA, and I can apply this AA saying to OA, I came in for my drinking, stayed because of my thinking so i've many times i've put down the food but i'm a dry drunk left untreated i uh need the big book to treat my thinking um my thinking can be obsessive and controlling uh i believe in the lies the lost friends um i've lost friends who don't understand so my thinking is i will show them um you know uh I am currently in marriage counseling. Divorce was recently talked about. Um, I have, uh, you know, just basically killed myself with the food and I'm in debt now. Uh, My husband's in debt. Um, Bankruptcy is a yet. I could definitely take my husband there if I continue face down in the food. I don't care. I give up. I failed to enlarge my spiritual life because I'm so busy stuck in the problem with a untreated addict's mind. I'm not thinking because I'm obsessing on my next fix. I am reaching in my, uh, Oh, sorry. I'm reacting to others and my character defects. I've abandoned myself and others. I was a dead woman walking. Thank goodness for vision for you and, uh, God, um, seeing fit that I am accepted and loved here and welcomed. And, uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much,
0: Julia. Okay. We have Beth and followed by Liz, followed by Elizabeth. I love all those names sharing the name of my daughter, especially (laughs) Beth. Good morning, Beth. Hi, Beth. If you press star one, please. Okay, maybe there wasn't a Beth, or maybe I read um, that wrong. Is there a Liz?
6: Yes, it's Liz S. calling from New
0: Hampshire. Huh. Hi, Liz. You're up. We'll come back if there is a Beth. Thanks, Liz.
7: Uh, what I often forget is what Bill says on page 30. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. Yeah, And there are two things uh, that I find are. You know, very important for me to remember. I'll never be normal with food. I will never be able to eat or binge today and be okay tomorrow. The other thing is if I have any extreme emotion, especially a resentment, I have to take care of that immediately because that can be the cause and has often been the cause for me to pick up. You know, angry someone. I'll get you. I will I will absolutely use that to uh, pick up the substance that I am highly allergic to. So in a, high, a very highly emotional state, whatever it is, can be a reason to pick up the substance that I'm allergic to and that sets off the phenomenon of craving. But the idea that I'll be okay tomorrow is foolish, it's wrong, it's wrong thinking, and it is absolutely not going to happen. And I realized that, of course, and then I put the, that allergic substance in my mouth. So, page 30 to me, I think it's page 30. Yes, page 30 to me is crucial, absolutely crucial, because this is where Bill reminds me this the mental twist, the mental state that, uh, you know, precedes can precede that first bite. It's what I have to watch out for. I never, ever going to be in control. I'm never going to be normal around food. And I have to remember that at all times, all times. But I also have to remember my thinking. And that's where the 10th step comes in. Resentments are dangerous and I have to get rid of them or I will eat. I've eaten over them. So a if I have them, I've got to take care of them as fast as I can, or I'm in very big trouble. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Liz. Okay, I'm going to come back and see. Was, was there a Beth? Hey, Larry, this is Beth W. I did not put my name
8: up there, so if there's another Beth, um, maybe she did.
0: Okay, and I, I often hear voices in my head, so that, that's okay. Um, so we'll go on. Thanks for mentioning that. We'll go on to Elizabeth. Maybe that's who I heard twice. Elizabeth, are you available
9: or was that first I, one or was... I I am available thank you Larry Hi. good morning hi, good morning um my name's Elizabeth D, and I'm a grateful recovered compulsive reader in the Boston area, and grateful for this meeting this morning and all the service that surrounds it um, A couple of words just popped out here for me um Dominates, uh, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate desperate experiment of the first drink? Um, what kind of thinking dominates a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety like me when I repeat over and over and over again the desperate attempt, the desperate experiment that it will be different this time? And now, for me, dominant. Well, for for me, there are a number there are a number of trigger foods and trigger foods, trigger foods, substances, behaviors, whatever. It's different for everyone, and that's that's between um, the the uh, compulsive overeater and their higher power with the help of a, a recovered guide. For me, diet soda is a, a is a trigger. I can't have artificial sweeteners. I remember a moment when um, I had been abstinent uh, for a long time, abstinent with group support for a long time. And there were stressors building up in my life. And there was a moment where I was happy and on top of the world at this festival with my daughter. And it just occurred to me, well, you know, a diet soda would be okay. Now, the word dominates if you look it up, says, have a commanding influence on, exercise control over. And then the synonyms are like tyrannize, oppress, bully. At that point, I was not working the steps of this program, of of the program. I was doing OA with group. I was doing a diet with group support. And so when, for whatever reason, the buildup of human emotions happened for me, the thought popped into my head, well, it'll be different. I can have a diet soda and I could really, use, and I'm having such a great day. Well, that started another relapse for me. The fact is, I have no defense against this because I am of the hopeless variety. And I can't, I have to do step one every single day. And what that means for me, and I'll wrap up with this, is that I have no control over knowing how bad the next relapse is going to be. I have no knowledge of how bad it's going to be and how my disease will have morphed by that time. So it's best for me to just stay very grounded in step one every single day. And reading this and doing this work and working with others keeps me grounded in this book every single day. I don't have to work any other step perfectly. The only step I have to work perfectly is step one, recognizing that I have this thinking that tells me it will be different this time, that that it it can dominate me if I don't have a spiritual defense. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth. Okay, we have Kathy followed by Barbara. If you're not Kathy, um, would you be kind enough to mute your phones? Good morning, Kathy. Good
10: morning, Larry. This is Kathy S. down in Georgia. And... um, In addition to what everybody has shared over the past over today and yesterday about the sort of thinking that um, that happens again, the word dominate really draws my attention. And what where I'm at is it's not just the the conscious thinking that happens that really trips me up, but it's the non thinking. That goes on behind the scenes. It's those deep beliefs that were um, rooted in childhood. The the thinking that I'm I'm not good enough and I'm going to fail. And so to protect myself, I need to not even try. And or I need to go hide in food. I've got to protect myself and um, and it's that's what the steps has revealed. Um, working the steps and working with others has really brought to light that these deep beliefs need to be uprooted. And that's, um, it's often, it's uprooted by surrendering my will daily to God and working these steps and asking him to remove these defects of character and then acting in a new way, stepping out in courage, stepping out in his power and, and not my own. And, and just, you know, I don't know, living a whole new way. And and where I'm at personally with this is that um, my sponsor and I finished reading step 12 and, and I was like, uh, now what? And terrified about the idea of sponsoring because I went and I went back into self-will and then five resentments come up and I'm like, what? Because of this, what happened was these deep seated beliefs keep coming up that will, trigger me, that say all these situations that my mind focused on that said, look, you know, that comment, see, you're not good enough. You're going to fail. And if I didn't take care of those resentments and spot that and ask God to remove them, I would never try. I would never be able to continue in my spiritual growth and connection. And I will most certainly relapse because that's what this book says. And that's what you guys swear. So that's where I'm at. And it's, and by working that out and seeing that, asking God to remove that, I even asked him for the words this morning to share and step out and courage and just try and just be myself, not try to be someone else that I'm, not try to be someone that I'm not And and just trust that, yeah, I'm going to fail. But that's where growth happens. Growth happens when I walk in humility and, and try to be of maximum service to others and to God. And, um... And in that, I develop courage and develop new skills, and, and I'm starting to lift. And I'm finding this morning that not only, you know, I can't keep this to myself. I will explode. I have to give it away because it is so awesome. So just keep working the steps. It really does work. And thank you, everybody, for all of your support and encouragement. Thanks, and have a great day. I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Okay, now batting for the Yankees. Shortstop
0: Barbara E. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning.
11: Good morning, Larry. And uh, yes, uh, I'm sitting in the dugout, that's for sure. (laughs) When it came to my compulsive overeating, destructive ways of eating, I repeated my same mistakes over and over again. I woke up every morning planning my binges for the day. The warnings of doctors and my family's concerns fell on deaf ears. I was like a driver pulling out into the intersection without looking to the left or the right or into oncoming traffic. I had a PhD when it came to dieting, but my forgetter was enabled and I would inevitably forget the disastrous consequences of the last time I went back to my allergic food and behaviors. I heard the flame might be out but the pilot light is still on, and mine was red hot. So when I dieted to get presentable for some particular event, and the event was over, I would immediately start overeating again. And then when I wanted to stop binging on all my allergic foods, I found my brake pedal wasn't working. I was insane. I felt in my heart I was doomed to crash and burn. So why even try? When I crawled into O8 in 1997 for yet another diet, I heard all about the seven tools available then. I heard people say abstinence is the most important thing in my life. So I said that too. I asked a lovely lady to be my sponsor, and I faithfully called her every day. Was I happy? Not really. But I was honest and obedient, and I did lose weight. But I've said before, thin does not equal happy. And I wanted desperately to be happy, too. How could I get into a better frame of mind? Well, I started to hear people mention the 12 steps, and I thought perhaps that might change the trajectory of my life. So I asked for a different kind of help, from a member who told me to buy a big blue book. And as I read it with her, I began to feel a glimmer of hope that I might have this spiritual awakening that she talked of. I began to make calls and heard about the connection between my mental and spiritual state, the mental state that always seemed to precede my making the decision to give up, to pick up that first compulsive bite. So today, two decades later, I wake up every morning with a profound sense of gratitude and humility that keeps me always focused on how can I best serve thee. Thank you so much for serving everyone of you at this meeting. Everyone is capable of recovering. You've just got to want it, roll up your sleeves, and get out there and do the work. Thank you. I pass. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Barbara.
0: Okay. We have Nancy followed by Cindy. Hey, Nancy. Good morning.
4: Hi, Larry. Thanks for letting me share. Um, good morning, everybody. This is Nancy P from Boston. So this whole chapter is about admitting we're powerless, right? Jim, Fred, the 30 man of 35 and the Jaywalker. Walker. Um, And the other side of that coin is that I have no control. So my whole, you know, all all of this time that I've ever been, you know, in the program, um, my thinking was, I've got this, no problem. You know, life, I've said this before, life tapped me on the shoulder many times, you know, crack up a car or alienate a friendship or lose a job or all of those things have happened to me and I would be devastated and I'd think, okay, you know, I'm powerless. But the missing piece there is that I had not surrendered. And to me, you know, nothing worked. I mean, I, including going through the big book step study process, which I did. And, you know, I, I birthed my baby, which is what I call my fourth step inventory. It was 550 pages, but it didn't take, and I ate for 13 more years. And then when I was truly, truly beaten, um, and I couldn't outrun my one particular problem with, by, by eating. And trust me, I tried hard to do that. Then I stopped and I said, I don't know. Um, because memory is not going to do me any good of any, of no memory. You know, I can't keep it in mind. It doesn't, I don't have that spot, you know, in my brain, there is no space for memory when it comes to what the first bite will do to me. There's no, I have no memory watching me think, you know, this whole thing is, you know, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time, the desperate expression of uh, experiment of the first drink. So that's the thinking is happening before he takes the first drink or the first bite. You know, if, if you were to watch me, you know, before, right before I took the first bite, it would be like being stared at by a cat, nothing but silent blinking and nothing going on. And, um, you know, I don't today, you know, when I was finally beaten, I said, You know, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I, you know, slowly over the course of my going through the steps with my sponsor, I came to believe in a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And I turned my will and my life over to the care of that higher power. And, um, you know, I don't have any control. I understand that today. To maintain that state of thinking, I have to do this work every single day, especially as it says intensive work with other alcoholics, especially that. All the other stuff I have to do, but I have, especially I have to do that. And as long as I remain tethered to the idea that I'm powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable, that's really the only thing that I have to keep in mind. Um, Then everything will be okay. But um, I, you know, the whole point of the, you know, this control thing, when I was out of control, I I mean, I, I was out of control for 41, 47 years. And finally I called somebody and said, i am I'm, I'm done, you know, help me, and I got the help that I needed, so um that's it for me with that. I'll pass Thank you
0: thanks, Nancy. Okay, Cindy. it's your turn. Good morning.
12: Good morning, everybody. This is Cindy M recovered compulsive overeager in <clears throat> Cante, Pennsylvania Well, um the first sh- the person who read today um shared a lot of the excuses that I had come up with, a lot of the reasons for eating this time and all the <clears throat> all the BS in my brain that, you know, just tells me, well, maybe you don't have this. You, don't, you never had to lose that much weight. Maybe it's not really, you know, you're just trying to get attention. You, you know, just, you know, the different different lies that, that i i could believe and i remember one time someone said to me i I kept saying i'm trying to do this i'm trying to stay on the plan and but i just you know i just keep trying and i can't do it and she said well you have to stop trying and surrender and i was like what what does that mean how do you surrender how do you uh you know, how do you do that? I don't, I don't know how to do that. And I finally got to the point where I saw that my thinking was totally, um, askew that the way that I needed to surrender was to believe that I have no control over this and that I, that I can't entertain any ideas that I'm going to be able to eat normal. And, um, And really, the way I eat is normal now. It just doesn't include a lot of foods that aren't good for anybody, really. So um, I just am so grateful to keep hearing the truth on this line and to keep reading the truth in the big book. And I just have to keep... uh, bombarding myself with that truth or I won't be able to keep this abstinence. And, um, and that's, you know, that's what I've found over and over again. I I keep working the steps and I keep talking to my sponsor and I keep talking to other people and, um, I keep, um, sponsoring and, um, right now I don't have any sponsees, um, because guess what? I broke my abstinence. But, um, but when I broke my abstinence, I didn't keep going. I didn't binge. I didn't, uh, I didn't keep, um, I knew that this was something I needed to give up now. And so I did. And I got right back on and uh, started back at step one. And so I, you know, I am recovered. It is a miracle. It is, I didn't have to go through a big relapse to get back. And thank thank you, God. So thank you for listening, and I pass.
0: Thank you so much, Cindy. Okay, we're going to take a, a, some more names here. We're just to let you know, we read, Pete read from page 35, the first paragraph, What Sort of Thinking Dominates. We're going to share on that one paragraph. Who would like to uh, share on what was read? I can see okay,
7: out w. Jill M. That's
0: W. Jill. Ramona A. Ramona.
13: Judy P. from New Jersey.
0: Judy P. Maybe a couple more. Hoodie, uh, I didn't hear that. That's her hoodie. I heard somebody else.
6: Rafaela
0: C. Si. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Can you? Is it? Was it Marcella? No.
6: Raffaella, like the painter. Raffaella.
0: Raffaella, I got it. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> All right. All
6: right.
0: So here's the lineup. We have a Beth. So we have a Jill. Ramona. Judy. Cody, and Raffaella. <laughs> Beth, good morning.
8: Hi, Larry. Thanks for calling on me. I was out walking my dog earlier, so it was a really noisy time. So um, I, um, I really identified with so many of the speakers already. Um, and Beth W., compulsive overeater, recovered in North Dakota. And um, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time? I don't, I don't know if I even knew I was thinking. It, it was just so unthinking. Everything I did, um, i it was some ingrained behavior that was just muscle memory. I remember, like my father would say to me, close the refrigerator door because I would be standing there. I didn't even know how I got there. I didn't know what I was doing there or why I was there. And And I but everything about my life was that way. I just did things without thinking. And, um, coming into this program, I was taught that I, I do have to think, but I don't have to do everything mindlessly. I can ask for help. I can ask not just other people, but I can ask my higher power to help me and I can surrender and I don't have to do everything just because that's how I did it before. And, um, I was talking with somebody about muscle memory earlier and um, how a dancer learns to do a, a, to do a new dance. They do it over and over and over again. And, and that's part of what I have to do in this program. I have to do things over and over and over with thinking and in, in intention so that I learn new habits and I learn new behaviors. And I do that by, by following what other people who have gone before me, what they've done and what, what they did well. And, um, and so I do have to think and I do have to learn and I do have to create new muscle memory because I didn't, I don't know if I ever thought before. And if I did, I certainly wasn't awake and alert to do it. So that's all I have. And I will pass. Have a great weekend, everybody.
0: Thank you, Beth. Okay. We have Jill M followed by Ramona. Jill, Good morning. Hey, good morning, Larry. Thank you. And
7: my name is Joe, J-O. Oh, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And good morning, everyone. My name is Joe and I'm a compulsive overeater in Minnesota. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Of what is he thinking? They're telling me that my thinking is the issue. My feelings are not the issue. My circumstances are not the issue. My thinking is the issue. And how do I know this? Every time I've gone through an inventory, my very first inventory and all my subsequent inventories, and my steps 11 and 12, when I have a change in my thinking, everything changes. The facts don't change. My thinking changes. And that's what, that's what is freeing me. So I have to understand the nature of my problem. My thinking is the problem. And what is my thinking caused by? It is caused by a spiritual state. So I either have an untended spiritual condition, which is causing poisonous thinking, or I have a stable spiritual state addressed by the steps, and my thinking is clear, and it's pure, and it has good motives, and I can extend myself for the benefit of other people. I think we it's easy to get distracted uh in our condition. I know it's been easy for me to get distracted and think that that, that if I have a particular condition, now I don't have to do the work of addressing my thinking, but actually I do have to do the work of addressing my thinking. Right now I'm in an extended illness and I have to address my thinking because my illness is not my problem. My physical illness is not my problem. My thinking is my problem. So daily I'm engaging my gratitude. What am I grateful for today? How can I see the bigger picture today? How can I extend myself for other compulsive overeaters today? How can I show up for my employer even while I'm working from home because I'm not well enough to go into work? It's my thinking. So that's been very important. It's been critical for me to learn about and understand and accept the nature of my problem, which allows me to become open to the nature of my solution. Thank you. I'll pass
0: Thank you so much, Joe. Okay, we have Ramona followed by Judy. Ramona,
14: good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your service. This is Ramona A. in Vermont. And, uh, you know, I almost, I know this disease is deadly. And the longer, you know, I live and work, work the steps and whatever, I know even more deeply how deadly it is. I've seen it kill friends, et cetera. So I know how dangerous it is. And yet there's a part of me that wants to almost giggle when I think of my life and this illness before program. Because, you know, I remember when I went went back to something and people would kind of look at me odd. Like in college, I went up for desserts. And I remember my roommate saying to me, Ramona, what are you doing? And I was so embarrassed, but I overcame the embarrassment, and I went up and got another one. And I remember when I had family visiting for a while, after, you know, years later, and they said, well, what kind of snacks and things would you should we get, you know, for, for all of us? And I said, well, don't worry about me. You know, I'm not going to have any. And I ended up, I wasn't thinking. I don't remember thinking anything, you know, but I ate most of it. Um, and there were more embarrassing things like that, but sometimes I didn't even feel embarrassed. Sometimes I didn't even realize that it happened. But I always overcame the embarrassment. Not until you know I got into program and I was so so ready for it when I got in. I finally had had an experience of seeing how the twelve steps worked with somebody else, and um, that was my first exposure to. Twelve steps at all and and I really jumped in, and for a few years, everything was wonderful, and I did lose the weight, but I also changed the thinking changed the twelve steps supported that change in me, you know, and then you know I got busy with something else, and away it went again, and of course, there were many years of relapse. And I knew after that, much as my thinking says, oh, you should be ashamed to go back into the rooms because look how much weight you've gained, that I finally overcame that embarrassment too. And I went back to OA. And first there were just tools, not the steps. I never worked the big book. Nobody ever introduced that to me. But after a while, after, you know, some years, I really did... um, come into OA and and OA using the big book and that has changed my life. Those steps like that, like this, have changed my life. I am um, came to a point of just total surrender of my major food. And as I you know, as I work the steps more and it takes care of more of the thinking, it takes care of more of the garbage of the past, etc. Then um I grow more deeply aware, and some other foods have been let go, you know, everything that needs to be letting go of it. And and my life has changed. My life has changed through the steps. So it isn't just the food, but it's the steps. And so I am so grateful, so grateful for everyone who has kept this alive over time, and I'll pass with that. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ramona. Okay, we have Judy followed by Hoodie. Judy, 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 it's your turn. Oh, Judy, if you can press star one, that would be terrific.
9: Thank
13: you so much for saying that. I thought I was um, just muted on my phone. Thank you, Larry, for your service and everybody who's here. My name is Judy. I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater, food addict, relapse survivor calling from New Jersey. I heard the reading and I heard the shares and I went to the big book and I read it for myself a little while ago and I had some notes written from when I went over it with my sponsor back in 2014. And um, and it says what what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic, and I have irritable, restless, discontent, and um, I say compulsive, depressed, and cocky. These are my mental states. These are my uh, thinking. That if they're dominating in my brain. Um, they're the things that are going to create the possibility of me wanting to eat, and i'm grateful that that is not my way of life today. You know, my higher power gave me a sponsor who listened to all my sick thinking, two pages for each resentment and um and after like after sharing. That sixth thinking with another human being who completely understood, I felt so light and so close to my higher power. And that was the purpose of going through the big book with her. She said, You know, what we have are a lot of blocks to our higher power. And the fourth and fifth step, and all the rest of the steps, they're about clearing those blocks to God. And the different ways of thinking that irritable, restless, discontent, the compulsive thinking, the depression and cockiness, these are all blocks to my higher power. I can feel today. I can literally feel when I feel separate. And I know that that's like, I have to get, you know, right with God. I have to clear those blocks. And very recently I was riding around my neighborhood, and please forgive me, I'm going to sound like um, like a horrible prejudiced person. What I have is an inner child who had some negative experiences where we had to move because, you know, different uh, ethnic backgrounds moved in and, you know, life kind of shifted and we ended up going into poverty because we moved. So in my neighborhood, there's more of that going on, and I became so afraid as I'm riding around on my bike. And I went to an OA meeting and after Sorry, the meeting me was over, her, uh, yes, I'm going to wrap up with this. Okay. Is that all right? Absolutely. Thank you. So um, I went to an OA meeting and I shared with this gentleman, my fear and he was of color And I cried saying, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And this man was so grateful that I shared it. And whatever that was, was over. I had to expose that fear. And he was like standing in between me and my higher power. And I'm just so grateful for that experience because the desire to eat had completely left. Thanks
15: for listening.
0: Thank you, Judy. Okay, we have Hoodie followed by Rafael. Hoodie, good morning.
15: Hey, good morning, Laurie. This is Hoodie R., um, recover compulsive overeater from Israel. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate desire, desperate experiment of the first drink? Of what is he thinking? And you know, I, sorry, I recall we heard and, and learning about more about alcoholism, and the whole point of this chapter. Um, I was taught, is to identify in and to understand, am I really an alcoholic? Do I ever have an alcoholic mind? Because if I don't have an alcoholic mind, then I don't have to be here. And if food and weight is my problem, then diet programs would work, and I wouldn't have to be in these these rooms working a 12-step program. But, you know, of what sort of thinking that thinking is my problem, as we've heard previously. You know, my thinking is an issue, and it gets me caught all the time because all actions, um, I was also learned that all actions are born in thought. So what that first thought, you know, if I'm going to, um, that first thought is the problem and how I act from it. So the second thought is what I'm going to do about it. So, um, you know, this way I really cannot have to check my motives
9: all the time. I think we lost
0: you, hoodie. Um, if you can press star one. Do you hear me? Can I be? Oh, there you are. You're back.
15: Okay. Thank you. And what sort of thinking dominates that alcohol? My thinking is the issue, and um, I, and and that and that first thought that will send me away and I really have to check that out and i 'm so grateful for this these, these this program that helps me to get rid of that mental obsession and to be aware that my thoughts are the issue, and I have to work work on the spiritual solution so that uh, my mind is clear and i 'm thinking positively and and um, on the right motives, and you now that thought, that thinking of mine, it's like, why in the world would would I go into uh, Dunkin' Donuts to order some coffee if um, there's going to be tons of my binge foods there, I'm like, what am I thinking, and I used to have done that all the time, and going shopping for my family, and walking down that, that, um, that aisle, because you know, I just that's that thought of you know just needing to to walk down that aisle, that thinking and I have to pursue is what is going on because all actions are born in thought, and if I'm going to have that thinking of doing something that is um disease oriented, you know that based based on my lies, based on my fears, based on my selfishness, dishonesty, you know it's going to pull me down and and then food will be a step up. And so I'm grateful that for today I get to discuss all the crap, all the garbage that is going around between my ears, let it go, let it out with someone else so that I could live free. I don't have to take actions based on that first thought, and I could have a recovered person help me make the direct, direct decision. So um, you know, yes, I am an alcoholic. I have a mind of an alcoholic, and I'm grateful that I have a program of recovery to help me, to help me with my thinking, so that it's on, it's a God-centered, um, um, God-centered, and not myself. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, hoodie. Okay, Rafael, uh, you will f- you'll finish us up here. Good morning. Good First morning I'm, to you. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, you're coming to great.
6: Hi, my name is Raffaella C. I'm normally calling from uh, Melbourne. At the moment, I'm calling from Israel, and as everybody guessed, I'm Italian. So the thinking that precedes and, or dominates my desperate uh, experiment can be in different languages, multilingual. And um, the, the, the thinking that they are... Um, inviting me here to reflect upon is the specific thinking that precedes that uh, desperate uh, experiment. And it's of a very specific kind. So I also uh, identified with what I heard. Sometimes there is no language at all to that thinking. There is just a vacuum. Uh, I only find myself waking up from some sort of hypnosis uh, after I have already binged and asking myself how, like exactly like the alcoholic that beats on the on the table, on the bar and says, "How the hell did I get here?" Then there is the specific thinking. The thinking is the negotiation, the crazy, insane negotiation of this time I'll get away with it. I've been a good girl for a long time, for, you know, a a year, six months, one month, a week, or I was good in the the morning, so now it's evening, I can compensate myself and so on. Uh, A lot of the time, the type of thinking I have is marinated in a lot of self-pity or uh, is an explosion of repressing a lot of feelings, you know, the irritability, the discontent and the restlessness that has piled up, you know, the emotions that have piled up. So there is something in me that tells me I have enough, I deserve, I want, I have to have it, otherwise I will die. And it's good to remember that. It is a desperate experiment to try one more time to get away with that kind of thinking. And I am extremely grateful that I've been recovered uh, for over a year Uh, And I have to now look at what sort of thinking can precede another experiment in acting out in my defects of character. And I am extremely grateful that I have all the tools and the steps to keep me from falling so low, because uh, the distance from uh, falling into my stinking thinking to actually taking the first bite is very, very short. Thank you for letting me share. I'm infinitely grateful because when I'm back in Melbourne, the hours don't match so well. It's in the middle of the night. And I always want to be with you guys live. I do hear the recorded meetings, but live is a different experience. Thank you so much. With that, I'll pass.
0: Thanks, Raffaella. Okay, and thank you to everyone who has joined us this morning. Uh, And and for those that have shared, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Let me give you the share ID for today, which is Friday, June 21st, 2019, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Okay, that's uh, 13,063, 13063. Okay, we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Hey, Hoodie, can you read for us?